Thank you for listening in today to our Friday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we'll continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We have here, it really began in chapter 19, but we really see it come to birth here in chapter 20, where David's departure from the house of Saul. Uh, this is one of the longest chapters in 1 Samuel. It's not the longest. There's 17. There's a couple others that are a little bit longer. But uh, what we're going to see here in this chapter is the end of David's service in the house of Saul. So it kind of pretty much comes to an end here in chapter 20. And so 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1, it says this, Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah, went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Now, I want you to kind of take note of the uh, anxiety in, in David's uh, kind of voice here. Um, First, it says he fled, so that tells us he's in a hurry right there. Uh, then he meets with Jonathan, and he says, what have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin? What does he seek my life? Da, 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 you know. And yet, the reason I bring this up is because David in chapter 19, as Saul was coming after him, was let down a window. He goes to Ramah. Um, Saul finds out about it, and so he sends soldiers there to get him and kill him, and uh, and then as they approach Ramah, because David is there with Samuel, all of a sudden they start prophesying worshiping God. So he sends another group of soldiers. They stop to worship and prophesy and worship God. Then he sends a third group of soldiers. They stop to worship and prophesy to God. And so David obviously is able to see this. He's in Ramah, and uh, he sees the soldiers coming. All of a sudden they stop, and the hand of God grips them, and all of a sudden they start prophesying and worshiping the Lord. And then Saul himself goes, it says. And then it says in verse 23 of verse 19, uh, chapter 19. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. And the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul among the prophets. And so he went over there. Everything was laid bare uh, before him. And, uh, and so it's at this time that David obviously sees uh, this is a chance to leave. Saul is obviously occupied. But, I, but, but when I look at this, I kind of wonder and going, okay, David, you know that Saul is trying to kill you. But you've just seen four beautiful examples right before you, how God protected you. And he didn't even have to call down fire from heaven, no lightning. They didn't even have to die. He just grips them with, their, with his spirit. And they stop dead in their tracks, and they're not able to, um, they're not able to uh, get David. But he's still very, very anxious. He's still, still fearful. And so what does he do? He immediately, as he sees that they're delayed, he immediately goes to Gibeah to see Jonathan again. And he wants to inquire, why is your dad doing this? Why is your dad doing this? And so you could see the anxiety that he has right now. I would submit to you that David is in so much despair that he's only aware of his only his he's only aware of his own fear. He's only aware of his own panic 
And David takes advantage of Saul being gone, and he goes and he speaks to uh, Jonathan. Um, I, I would submit to you that David, his faith is truly being tested, um, that every outward circumstance of his life from this time forward until the death of Saul is going to give the impression of a lie that the promises of God are not being fulfilled. It's giving the impression of a lie because David has already been anointed to be king and he's going, but it doesn't look like I'm going to be king. The circumstances don't really tell me that I'm ever going to be king. And so there's this impression in his circumstances that what God has spoken to him is a lie. And the question is, is he going to believe that or is he going to believe what God has spoken to him? And we're going to see a man that is going to be used greatly by God go through a very, very difficult period in the next six or seven chapters. But this is the plan that God has for him. And so going on here in verse 2, it says, So Jonathan said to him, By no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. Why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so, he says. So Jonathan can't believe it. It's a chapter before in chapter 19 where it, uh, that uh, Saul isn't even being subtle about it. He calls his servants and Jonathan to him and say, hey, we got to go kill David. And then Jonathan talks him out of it and then Saul promises him. He tells him right here, he says in, uh, in verse, verse 6, it says, So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. So Saul promised Jonathan. He's not going to kill David. And so when David comes back with this report, Jonathan can't believe it. He's beside himself. It can't be so. Dad wouldn't lie to me, you know. And so this is where he's coming from. And so in verse 3 it says, And David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, There's but a step between me and death. So again, you see the anxiety, a step. He's right on my heels. Okay, so Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. So Jonathan is saying, I believe you now. What do you want me to do? How can I help you? So so anyway, he continues on and he says, and David said to Jonathan, indeed tomorrow is the new moon. I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. You should highlight where it says third day. has some significance there. Anytime you see third day, I, th- I, I, would, um, I would tell you that I would submit to you. It, it will always refer to the resurrection. There's something there about that third day when we come across it in God's word. Uh, and so... If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says, thus it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by father to come upon you, then would I not tell you. So, 
David has this ingenious plan to try and force Saul uh, to reveal his true intentions towards him. The plan was very simple, very effective, very proactive. It safeguarded David by excusing him from being there for the new moon uh, feast. And it avoided him trying to use any force to try and protect himself. Uh, And for his part, David would merely just be absent from the royal court for two days. And let's just see what Saul's attitude is during that time, is pretty much what he's saying. Now, in Numbers chapter 10, verse 10, it says, Also in the day of your gladness and your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifice of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So, The new moon is the beginning of months. Whenever they first see the crescent moon, uh, that is the beginning of the next month. And so every new moon, every time, every month, at the beginning of the month, they would have this little memorial feast, a thanksgiving to the Lord. And it is a holy day. It is a holy day. And so uh, this will be a time when his whole household would get together with the royal court and then they would eat together. And so it's expected of David to be there. Uh, Jonathan's role, so it's going to be easy for David. He's not going to be there. He, the, he has an excuse. Um, and so uh, Jonathan's role is going to be a little bit more complicated. Um, he's going to see how his father reacts that first night. He doesn't say anything. He'll see how he reacts the second night. If he doesn't say anything, everything's good. If he does say something, he's going to say, well, David asked of me, and I gave him permission to go and be with his family um, there in Bethlehem to go ahead and be with his family and, uh, and, and celebrate it with them. And so if his father says, yeah, that's fine, then everything's cool. But if he blows his top, then we're going to know. Then we're going to know. So um, we're going to see if there's going to be a hostile response or not. So in verse 10, it says, Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me or what if your father answers you roughly? So let's say he blows his top. How am I going to know is what he's asking. How am I going to know? Okay, so who's the one that's going to notify him? So Jonathan said to David, so this is now Jonathan's plan. David had the first part of the plan. Jonathan has the second part of the plan. And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow, that's another way of saying when I've figured out, you know, how he responded to everything. Or the third day, or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, I do not send to you and tell you. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety, and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And so again, he's going to let him know on the third day. Underline that, highlight that, has big significance there. So, this going out into the field, just for me personally, just kind of reminded me of Cain and Abel. If you read that story, Cain killed Abel out in the field, and the blood from the ground was crying out to the Lord, it said. So you had two brothers, and there was a rivalry, and one was jealous of the other one because Abel brought the proper sacrifice to God, and Cain did not. And so Cain rose up, and he killed Abel, and it was truly out of jealousy. It was truly out of jealousy. It also reminds me of Esau. 
the way that Esau wanted to kill his brother Jacob. Why? Because Jacob stole his inheritance. Okay? So you have these two brothers. Well, you have Jonathan and David here. Jonathan is not really David's brother, but they have such a friendship, and it's spoken of of how Jonathan, in chapter 18, took off his robe that was on him, gave it to David, and with his armor, even to the sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul had him and behaved wisely. And so this is where where Jonathan, who is heir to the throne, gives off his garments, takes them off, gives them to David. And by doing that, he's saying, "Uh uh-uh, you're the one that's in line next to the throne. And I'm here to serve you. And so Jonathan, a guy who should be, by all purposes here, of being the next heir to the throne, is looking at the guy who God has already declared is going to be the next heir to the throne, And instead of being jealous over that, he's kind of the antithesis of Cain, the antithesis of Esau. Instead, he sees what God is doing and he yields to it. He says, so be it. Because I already know that through Samuel, that God had already spoken through Samuel to Saul saying, the kingdom has been taken away from you. And it's going to be given to another, a man after God's own heart. And we have seen over the last few chapters how Jonathan has seen David react and respond in such a manner that he sees there's a man after God's own heart. And so he falls in love with the man after God's own heart, and he says, that's the guy right there. That's the guy that I know that God is raising up to lead Israel, and I want to be by his side. I want to be by his side. And so he yields. The privilege and position that he has to be the next king, according to Saul, he says, you know what? God's authority is higher. I yield to that. And here he is out in a field where all sorts of evil things have happened before when you have two people get together or one strikes down the other or wants to kill the other person in order to be able to have his inheritance. And yet Jonathan yields to that. And so they go out in the field. May God be a witness to us, he says. May God be a witness to us. And so... Again, Jonathan recognized that David is the one that's going to have the kingdom. And so it says in verse 14, And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan makes a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So David, he's saying, I want you to promise me something. When you get your kingdom... When you get your kingdom, you must promise that my household, that you would be kind to my household forever, and that my descendants aren't going to be cut off. And David's going to agree to get that. He agrees to that. Now, in verse 17, it says, Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to a place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by this stone as El. Now, Jonathan provides some pretty specific details here about how he's, what, how he's going to pass the vital information along to David. Because Saul and the royal household observed the Torah-prescribed new moon, 
as I read in Numbers 10.10, David's going to be expected to be there. But his absence definitely is going to be noted. But Saul is going to understand something here. He's going to understand that, you know what, it could be possibly that he's ceremonially unclean. If he bumped into, you know, he's a man of war, if he's been around a dead body or somebody else has been ceremonially unclean, that makes him unclean and he can't be there for that memorial feast that first day. But that second day, even if he was unclean, he can participate in that feast because it's not a holy day. So possibly that first day, him not being there, New moon, there could be an excuse for that. Um, This was going to be able to buy David uh, a little bit of time. Uh, And then we'll see on the second day. But the third day, he's going to know something. He's going to know something by the third day. Uh, He tells him, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed. What that means is that go hide in the place where you were hiding before when this trouble first began. And it's obviously out in this field, and it's next to a stone that's called Ezel. And that stone, what that stone means, what, the, uh, what that word means for that stone means is a meaning. It means uh, stone of departure is what that means. Stone of departure. And that's going to have great meaning here in a moment. And then he goes on and he says, Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target, and there, will be a, and there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on the side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. So basically, he's going to have a young uh, lad with him. He's going to shoot three arrows. And if they land near the rock by the side there, then David, everything's okay. Everything's going to be okay. And so it's a signal that's going to indicate a safe return to Gibeah. Uh, and so he's going to know that, that there is no danger. And then verse 22, but if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. So when he says, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way. What's he saying to David? Go your way. He's telling David, go your way. That's your signal. I'm going to be shooting arrows way past where you are by that stone, and it means you need to go your way. Um, I look at this, and uh, I just want you to hold on to that about the arrows being shot beyond you. And it really is God leading at that point that, David, you need to go now. You need to go. When that happens, because that is going to happen, what do you think is going through David's mind? I have to go, okay? Do you think he's probably thinking, go where? I don't know where to go. How often that happens in our walk with the Lord that God says go, and you go, okay, where? He says, first, you just got to go. And then I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to guide you and show you what it is that I want you to do. Um, And so... Again, he's, he gives him this plan. And so in verse 24, then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat as at other times on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan rose and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Okay, so it's the new moon, new month. Saul sits down. Uh, it says that he sat by the wall. Do you know why it says that? 
because most scholars believe that as a king, you would sit with your back to the wall because that would keep any sort of uh, assassination attempts and things like that. You see everything that's coming and going. And so that's his seat that he would always have, would be by the wall. And everybody else would be lining down the banquet table from him at that place. And then so they have the royal court there. Jonathan's there, Abner's there, and of course David's place is empty. And so in verse 26, it says, Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. So it's okay for you to miss that first day of the festival. You have to be whole. It's a holy day. You have to be clean before the Lord. And so uh, according to the, uh, um, uh, the hygiene laws and things like that, that you can read about in uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Uh, and so uh, more specifically, Leviticus 7, 20 through 21. And so if you, if you, if you came upon a, a, a corpse if you came across somebody who was uh, sick or ritually unclean themselves, then you couldn't participate in that. So this is what Saul's thinking. That's probably what has happened. And so in verse 27, it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. Now, this is interesting because Uri can see the tone of Saul. Why does he call him the son of Jesse? Why doesn't he ask for his son-in-law? He's married to his daughter. He was calling him his son before that because he's his son-in-law. But now he's saying, where's the son of Jesse? And it kind of gives you just a little bit You know, it just kind of points the trail that he's not too pleased just with the question. So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for a family has sacrificed in the city. My brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. So Saul seen David's absent the second day. And it's not a day that you could not eat if you were unclean. Um, David skipped a meal that could be eaten by a ceremonially unclean person, so he should be there. Uh, Jonathan sticks to the plan. He gives the excuse that they've both discussed. He's down there with his family making sacrifice. And so this is what happens in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. He has just insulted his wife, okay, in his anger, in trying to, you know, zing Jonathan that you must be, you know, a son of a very rebellious and perverse woman. Yeah, that would be your wife, dad, you know. And so, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Saul knows that Jonathan and David are in this together. And he knows that he's covering for David. Because he has come and defended David a couple of times now. And so he doesn't even trust his own son. And he knows that he knows where he is. Go get him for me so I can kill him. And let's put this out of our way forever so you can be the heir. 
of the kingdom. Neither death nor even life. Let nothing ever separate us. That wraps up this Friday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us again on Monday as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.